Hey, good morning. Good morning, everybody. As you're finding your seats, lots of chatter going on, catching up from the holiday weekend. We're so glad that you are joining us this morning. We hope that um, we hope that you found yourself surrounded by love and peace and hope during the holidays and family and friends and it's what we call friends who are family um, because we love one another deeply from the heart. So this morning we feel like that there's just such a sense of the Father's love for us and um, 2 Corinthians 6 and 18 says that I will be to you a true father because you are my beloved sons and daughters. So this morning, you are beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. And our anticipation for you is that you feel overwhelmed by the love of God that He has for you this morning. So will you stand with me, and we are going to worship together, and we are just going to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit, because we're transformed in His presence And what may have been years and years of an effect of something that's been going on in your life can literally be transformed in a moment by being in his presence. So, Father God, we just say thank you for your wonderful love that has been poured out on us, Lord, that's been really just shed abroad, the Bible says, in our hearts. Lord, we want to just welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit that you meet us right where we are this morning, God, that you are the one who has given us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness in this world. God, we're so grateful this morning. God, our hearts are filled with gratitude because we've been restored to the one who loves us the most. So we worship you, Heavenly Father. Thank you. Come and move among us this morning, Holy Spirit. And it's in your great name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship this morning. Every song 
So during prayer time, I had a picture, and the picture started out just black, like a black screen, and suddenly there was light moving and creating, and it was creating a new picture instantly as I was watching it. It was creating beauty. It was creating a peace and a light, and I feel like what the Lord was saying is, in whatever dark place you have, his creative power is able to create a new picture. Remove the darkness, create breakthrough, create a new reality. His power can do that. So lean in and let him take care of those places. Here in the ruins 
this moment I see your hand on it I know you were here and I'll testify of the battles you won how you were my portion when there was Testify of the season we've crossed. The waters you've parted, the waves that I've walked. Singing,
This morning, I think one of the greatest deceptions that the enemy can get you to believe or try to get you to believe is that God failed you. It is not in his nature or in his character to fail. It is not who he is. And I know the stories of my own life. I know the stories of the things that David, Hale, and I have walked through. And this room is full of the stories of the faithfulness of God. And so this morning... Can you really pour out this love song to the Lord of, I'm going to testify to the battles that we've won because you were my portion and you did not fail me. That is what needs to well up in your heart this morning is just this gratitude, this thankfulness of like, I'm going to tell this story of his faithfulness. And there are things that I've walked on and I've come through to the other side of that I would have never known I'd have been able to do that. And that was something that the Lord brought through and he was my portion in those seasons not just the portion financially he was the portion of my strength in my greatest need of weakness he was the portion of kindness in my greatest need of needing tender mercies 
Who has he been for you this morning in his great faithfulness of love and compassion and tenderness over your life this morning? There's some stories to tell in this room of his faithfulness in the hard season, in the good seasons. It's who he is for you and I this morning. Amen. We're going to sing this again together as a declaration of his goodness and his testimony and the testimony of our mouths that he has been our portion. Amen. Now testify of the battles you won. You were my portion when the It's a fire to see the wind grow. Waters you parted, the waves it have walked on Jesus. I'll testify.
you are more comfort to the brokenhearted, Lord. You are healer to the sick, Lord. You are more than enough. You are the beauty from ashes, Lord. You are more than enough. Lord, we worship you this morning. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you. You've chosen us, Lord. We are yours. We belong to you. We are your beloved Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. Amen. I love when we sense and feel the Lord's presence among us and just his love and his adoration towards us. And our heart's response now becomes the affection and turn toward him because we love him. And we know that we've been fully loved. Amen. If you're new with us this morning, if you're a guest, go to our DothanCF.com, do a connection card. We'd love to connect with you. If you're watching online, we'd love to get to know you a little bit of um, your story and how it fits and works into vision and where we're going into. And we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come as well and going into the new year, just our vision that we have for us. Um, Our Ladies Ornament Exchange, if you love to have fun with a group of ladies and connect in friendship and relationship This is the day for you. It's going to be December the 3rd at 4.30 at the Palmer's house. And um, bring an ornament to exchange. It will be like a Dirty Santa ornament exchange. So it gets crazy up in there just a little bit. It's lots of fun. Um, So bring a dish to share. We'd love for you to be there. If you need details, um, just ask me or some of the leadership team, and we'll get that information to you. And for the DCF family, we're going to be doing a... Um, movie night with dinner and popcorn and just fun for the kids as well. Uh, We're going to be doing Elf on Friday, December the 15th. School's out, and it's just kicking off that holiday season with lots of fun. And this is one of my favorite movies of all time, so I will be laughing along with you and the kids for sure. Um, There's details about that evening, so um, if you've got kids, make a cardboard box 
uh, car for the drive-in that's going to be up here at the front for them, okay? So, um, and remember, if you are doing Christmas Hope with us and you've got your tag for your gifts to go to Fostering Hope, we need those by next Sunday at the end of service. So, um, you want to bring them with you Sunday morning. And thanks so much for giving generosity, uh, just generously, you guys. Um, we know it's year in giving for a lot of people, bonuses, different things from work. And as you're prioritizing your year in giving, just would DCF be in that consideration to prioritize your local church, your local family body, so that we are doing life together. So um, we're going to dismiss our kids and our youth. They're going to go to their rooms. Youth is going to be over here with the Widoms. Kids are going to be at the back with Gay Lynn. And y'all, David's going to be right back with a message that he's kicking off with a new series this week. We are kicking off a new series, as Karen was saying this morning, called Behold, a Savior is Born. And so I just want to encourage you guys <clears throat> to invite people. It turns out that during the Christmas holidays and Easter especially, um, people are expected to be asked to come to church with you. <laughs> so it's just part of our culture that we want to take advantage of. So if you've been praying for people, your neighbor, some friends, family, whatever, just recognize that this is a great time to invite them into something. And as we kind of go into this series, part of what we want to tell you as a leadership team is that we're planning our services with guests in mind. So we're planning every single service between now and Christmas Eve, which is that Sunday morning. Uh, we're just planning that with, with people who maybe don't know Christ or don't understand grace or, you know, the power of God's spirit or what it means to be part of a community in so many ways. Uh, and often people will put on the big smiley face. Uh, you know that because you do it. <laughs> but they may be hurting inside. And this is an opportunity to introduce them to Christ, introduce them to hope, and go after some really big cool things as we go into this next year. So let me start with this. Um, to really enjoy the season that we're going into, you have to embrace hope. If you don't embrace hope when we go into this season, um, this season becomes a, a downer real, real quick. <laughs> the emphasis becomes not on hope, but the emphasis becomes on all the things that you haven't gotten yet or that you're not expecting or all the negative things. And so what it tends to do is it tends to amplify. This season amplifies whatever you're sensing, whatever you're feeling. And so it's helpful to be intentional as we go into the season, especially as believers, to go after hope. And so today we're going to kind of kick that off and talk a little bit about what that means. Um, I don't know about you guys, but at, at Christmas, um, I was always hoping for the thing I asked for. Like, I never sent anything to Santa because I figured out real, real quick we were poor, and Santa would just bypass our trailer, and he would, you know, go somewhere else where people could afford things. So if I wanted anything, I had to convince my parents to change their budget, whatever that looked like, to do without somewhere else so that I could get something. And, and my parents loved me and did a great job providing in ways I can't even begin to tell you, especially the fact that we were poor. So I got a lot of things that I hoped for, and sometimes I did it, but most of the time I did. But the hope that's at Christmas is so much, so much bigger, so much greater, because there's a bigger picture behind this holiday, and that's because Jesus was born, something higher, something greater is now available to us as we hope, and that's purpose, meaning, significance, forgiveness, and wholeness. And the good news is these kind of gifts, you don't have to wait to open. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and those big picture things, those big presents are already ours. So I want to kick off um, this morning um, with some information about prophets and prophecies. And so if you've been around some aspects of church growing up, there maybe wasn't a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, maybe there was. Um, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't know a whole lot about that. I, Christmas was just kind of a season that I just kind of, you know, it kind of swept me up and then took me along, and, and whatever happened, happened. 
we didn't go to church when I was a little kid. Um, I, I think when I was real young, we went for a little while. I memorized some scriptures that thankfully God brought back to my remembrance many years later. But for the most part, we didn't go to church. So Christmas was just kind of cultural. It's kind of the season. But thousands of years ago, as, as the people of God were, were, were listening for hope, they were in bad situations sometimes. Most of the time it came from their own sin. Um, but what was happening is God was promising through prophecies in these prophets. He would come and he would promise um, hope. He would promise help. He would promise rescue. He would promise the destruction of their enemies. He would promise prosperity. He would promise so many things. And all he was trying to do was say, hey, in relationship with me is where the, all these promises come. And so often they would get so enamored with the gift, they would forget that it was the giver that was most important. And as these prophecies were coming, <clears throat> one of the biggest prophecies is that not God wouldn't just generally help, but he, he would actually send someone Back then, they called, they called him the Messiah. And so they would send, that God was going to send a person, someone spe very specific, that was going to rescue them from their sins. And this baby, when this, this baby was going to be born, we're going to talk about just a second in Isaiah, this promise that a baby was coming, that this baby would be called the Messiah. And the Messiah just meant the anointed one. In other words, this, there was something about this baby that was coming, something about him, that when he came, he was going to be like Moses, only better. He was going to be like Joshua, only better. So they had history of how God used people to deliver. He was going to deliver them, not just from the circumstances, from all, but from all the things that actually caused the circumstances. So I want you to understand the significance of prophets and prophecies. Because again, often the church doesn't talk about this much. So in order to illustrate this, let me just give you um, an example of how this would work. So currently there's over 8 billion people on the planet. I don't know if you know that. Um, just in July, I think it was, we went over the 8 billion mark. And so out of 8 billion people, if I wanted to find one single person anywhere on the planet, I can do it in nine steps. So for example, if you want to find me and you're in outer space and you're an alien and you're trying to abduct somebody and you want to come and find one specific person, here's how you would do that. So you would you take a picture of the world, you would say, okay, I need to go specifically onto this planet and then I would drill down on this planet, and I would go to the continent, which for me is North America, and then the nation, which is the United States, and then um, sweet home Alabama, as you come into the state, right? And then the deep south in Dothan, Alabama, which is my favorite city. Um, I won't tell you the street I was born, you know, that I live on, because I don't want to dox myself, because this is going on, on, on the internet. But uh, I, suffice it to say, I live on the western side of the city. But if I gave you my specific address, you could drive right to my house, as some of you have. And uh, if you came to that house, you would find two people there um, with the last name Hale. You'd also find two dogs. We haven't given them last name, but Karen says they, they're family. I'll, I'll trust her on that. But, <laughs> but we have two people at that address. And so if you drill down even further, you can separate the two people with the same last name to me because of my first name. So out of over 8 billion people... If you know my name and address, you can drill down to that one single person. And in the same way, God did this through prophecies where he gave the, the time and the geographic address of the Messiah. So when I first read this, this probably helped me more than anything else in my skepticism. Because, you know, some, we were taught early on that science and the Bible, you know, they can't coexist, which is absolutely ridiculous. All science is, is the study of what is, and God is the one who put what is here. <laughs> so it's not, they don't contradict each other at all. We, and if you study science, you know that that's true. 
There was a man who wrote a book in 19, I think it was about 1950 or somewhere there, thereabouts, a guy named Peter Stoner uh, with another PhD, and the name of the book was called Science Speaks. And so what he did is he went after um, this concept of does science contradict uh, scripture or God at all. And his position as he, as he writes this book was that science more and more began to prove that the Bible was true and that God was true, right? And so he goes after that in a big way. It's a really interesting book. If you've never, if you've never read it, you can actually download it as a PDF and, and look into it. So he talks about that there were over 300 prophecies about directly about the Messiah. There's even more if, if, you, if you think indirectly, but specifically about the Messiah, over 300 prophecies all throughout the Old Testament, right? So here he, he presented this and he said, here are the odds for just eight of those 300 prophecies coming true in any one person, right? So the truth is in this Messiah, all of this is drilling down because God wants to be very specific. He wants to show signs. He wants to point. Signs are just that. They point to something. They lead you to something. So he's created these signs through the prophets and prophecies to point to this Messiah. So let me just give you those really quick. Uh, the time, this is eight, just eight of them. The time of his birth, you see this in Daniel. Um, he would be born in Bethlehem. It names the city in Micah. He would be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah. We're going to talk about that in just a second. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It says that in Zechariah. Psalm talks about he would be mocked. Uh, John says he would be crucified. Um, he would be pierced. Psalms 22 talks about that. He would die with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. And Isaiah prophesies that as well. So at the odds of just eight prophecies, remember there's over 300, but the odds of eight prophecies coming true in any one single person are one in the 10 to the 17th power. So what that really is, is one with 17 zeros behind it. That's how I have to think about it, right? And I counted them. You can count them. Some of you guys are counting them. It's just who you are. You can't help yourself. I counted them for you. There's 17. <laughs> Karen's going to do that. Um, so that's 100 quadrillion. So everything I just said about that number means zero, absolutely nothing to you because it's so astronomical and so big, it just, we just lose any sense of what it means. So let me give you an example or an illustration to help you understand just how significant that number is. So um, if you take the state of Texas and you put, um, you put uh, what is it, 100 quadrillion silver dollars in the state of Texas, it would fill the state of Texas two feet deep. Have you ever been to the state of Texas? It's really, really big. So, so if you fill that state with, with those silver dollars and you put a mark, an X on one of those silver dollars, you put it in there and you mix it all up, you blindfold a person and you send them out into the state of Texas for however long they want to walk, and, them, and, and the odds of them picking up that silver dollar with that X on it are, guess what? The same odds as if only eight prophecies came true in any one single man. So just take a second and do the math, if you can, on 300 prophecies coming true in, in any one single person. I use this all the time when people say, I just don't know if God's real. I'm like, do you know if math is real? <laughs> Most people are like, I'm pretty clear on math. Well, then let's talk math. And when I talk about this, it's hard, it's hard to push back. And the reason why is what it really does is God's, God put it, a sign in place, more than one, sign after sign after sign after sign that he was real his intention for you and I, what he wants in us, what he wants to do for us. He has put all those signs already in place. All we have to do is pay attention to them. So why does he give us signs? 
Why does does he give us prophecies or these promises? And the answer is because he wants to give us hope. He wants to give us something to say, if you haven't received it yet, here's a sign that you are going to receive it. And I'm doing everything I can not to bring up Bill Ingvall, the comedian, about here's your sign. But some of you guys are thinking about it already, so let's just get that out of the way. So God is basically saying, here's your sign, right? Over and over and over again through the prophecies, he kept coming back to the people of Israel and going, here's the promise sign. And they were waiting and hoping for God to fulfill his promises to bless them. And by blessing them, he was going to bless the entire world. Those were the promises. And so he says, I'm going to send you a Messiah. This Messiah word, like I said before, means anointed one. And so he's going to send this Messiah to rescue and heal all of creation from the brokenness of sin that occurred in the garden in the book of Genesis. So Isaiah 7, is real, it's a perfect sign. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now listen to that. Before I go into the rest of this, listen to that again. The Lord himself will give you a sign. So he's saying to Israel, so that you know I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it in the right time, right? So God has a timing. But so that you will know that this is going to happen, I'm going to show you a sign. When you see this sign, some things are going to happen. He says, behold, this is the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So I don't know about you again, but when I was a kid at Christmas, I could tell Christmas was approaching, right? And so there was a couple things that happened. Um, and as Christmas began to approach, the signs would begin to be more and more evident, and my anticipation would get, to, it get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, to this day, I don't know why we did this, but as, as our whole family, we celebrated Christmas in, you know, in opening gifts on Christmas Eve. I have no idea why to this day. I've asked my family. None of them know why we do this. Um, we, we celebrated at my grand, grandmother's house, so I suspect it had something to do with what my grandmother wanted, and that's just how it, you know, it just became the reality of it, right? But again, I have no idea, but every year we would, we would open our Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. But as each day got closer, like I said, I, I, get, I, I started getting more and more excited about what I was going to get, not from my family up in, in, um, in uh, Kentucky. Um, they always sent me socks. I don't know why. There's like, I guess they were cold up there, and they thought I was cold down in Alabama, so they would send me socks. But I was so excited. I remember in the 80s when the boom boxes, some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about, when the boom boxes came out with a cassette recorder and you could record the songs off the radio, I felt like such a heathen sinner being able to do that, but I still did it. But I, was, I, I just prayed for one, and it was gaudy. It was neon colors, and you could carry it on your shoulder, right? And so I don't have good hearing on this side because I carried on that. So, so that was what I was excited about. Whatever was coming in Christmas. But it, I would see Thanksgiving would come and go. And Thanksgiving was awesome, but that was one sign. And then the weather began to get colder. School would let out. There would be shopping. We would start wrapping presents for other people. We would always get them socks for some reason. But by Christmas Eve Eve, I would be beside myself. I'm like the day before Christmas Eve, I was so excited right? Why? Because the signs had been pointing to this time was coming. So in the same way, hundreds of years before Mary and Joseph ever even went to Bethlehem, hundreds of years before there was ever a crowded inn or a dusty old stable, God spoke hope through the prophets through these signs. He told his people, watch for this very particular sign when a virgin conceives. Now that if you have some uh, translations of the Bible, it says a maiden And and that's a 
bad translation. <laughs> and, and it's unfortunate, but just, just again, it's a bad translation. What it meant was not just a young girl, but it was a young girl who had never had relations with a man. So when this happened, God's saying, when you see this sign happen, know that something is close, right? So a couple of things about that sign. One is, it doesn't happen every day. It turns out it's only happened once in all of history, right? And the other thing, it's going to be a miracle when it happens. Now, why would God do it that way? One reason is this, because a miracle would indicate that this sign and this promise was from God and not from man. And there's something different about a promise from God than there is a promise from man. Karen and I, when we first got married, we talked about promises. We're like, let's not make promises unless we intend to keep them. And I'm like, I kind of think that's what a promise is ultimately. But for whatever reason, we had that conversation. And so we're super careful, and have been for years, super careful about making a promise to one another because the danger of that is if we let each other down enough, that begins to be the pattern, and we didn't want that in our marriage. So God, though, will never let you down. It'll sometimes feel like it, which is why signs are so important and why often signs come to you from God in so many ways. They work in your life because they're going to be things that come only from God. And this is why this is so important, because again, if you could do things on your own, you wouldn't need God to do that. So anything you can do on your own, thank God for that. He's given us the ability to do that, right? We're self-sufficient in so many ways. Oftentimes, it gets us in trouble. What God is promising, he's saying, when these signs come, I'm going to put signs in your life to teach you that when these signs come, the promise is there that I'm going to do it, and I'm not like men who are going to let this promise down. I'm going to fulfill everything that I, that I said. And the truth is, we need that kind of supernatural, divine power for hope, to find purpose, to forgive, maybe to save a marriage, to fight a diagnosis, to kick an addiction, or to be freed from depression. So when a virgin gives birth to a son, that's a work of God, and it's a promise or a sign that he can do anything. As a matter of fact, he says that in Luke 1, when the, when the angel comes to Mary, to this virgin that's going to give him birth, one of the things he says is this, Luke 1.37, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's good news. So here's the promise that's coming. So God with us is the hope that we need. So it's an interesting thing, this word Emmanuel, because people say, well, they named him Jesus, so this prophecy was wrong, <laughs> right? And I'm like, I hear what you're saying, but it's, it's because you don't understand the context of, of, of how Scripture works, right? So this was, this was as much a title as it was a name. Jesus, the word Jesus means obviously means Savior. We all kind of know that. But the promise, again, of Emmanuel was very interesting because the word meant God with us. God is going to leave heaven. This is how we think, right? God is going to leave heaven. It, it, the truth is, how does God leave where he is? If, he, if in him we live and breathe and have our being, right, inside of him, how does, he, how does he leave somewhere and come here? And so in some ways, that doesn't make sense to us, so we try to make sense of it in our own reality. But the Bible says God's a spirit, God is love. There are certain things about God that's really hard for us to wrap our heads around, which again is why he sends signs, why he gives promises, why he gives indicators to help us understand his ways are higher than our ways. So he, gives, he said this, this virgin's going to give birth to a son, 
And, and the name of the son is going to be God with us. Now, why is that so significant? And here's the answer. When creation cried out for help in the brokenness of sin that had lasted now since the book of Genesis, destruction after destruction in individuals' lives, treating each other the wrong way, selfishness after selfishness in families, destruction. Before you know it, it moves into a village and into a city and into a whole region. And before you know it, sin has infected the entire world. And we see examples of that every single day where we are. You try to wrap your head around how could someone do something like that? And the answer is that you get so corrupted by sin and so far away from God that you have nothing left but your own desires. And so you do everything in your own power just to make sure that you can be the God that you think you ought to be. And that's what sin does. And so this promise that God is going to come, it was saying, even though you've gone so deep into sin, when creation cries out for help, God didn't tell it to go get its act together, and then he would come close. He didn't wait for that. That's what's so powerful about the story of Christmas. Rather, God saw all that he had made that needed rescue, and he made the first move to come towards us. God with us is the hope that we need. Romans 5.8 helps us understand this. But God demonstrates. We, we gloss over Scripture so many times because we read it so fast. God demonstrates his own love towards us. He said, I'm going to show you what my kind of love looks like, right? He says in, 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 he says it in this way, in that while you were still sinners, while we were all still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get better. He didn't wait for you to turn over a new leaf. You know, we're coming up on, the, on, on New, Year's, uh, new Year's and all the resolutions that come with it. I'm going to do better this time. I promise. I'm gonna, and like, no, you're not. You're going to be the same person you were the day before the new year started, right? You have a lot of intentions. But again, the intentions without God are just that, they're intentions. But the promise of God is that it's not going to be in your own strength. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be with you. God didn't come to us because we deserve it. He didn't come to us because we earned it. He came to us because he loved us. And sometimes we try to read into it something more. But think about that for a second. God said they've broken everything. The, the perfect world I put them in started with one disobedient act and it turned into humanity's disobedience and longing for themselves to the point where they destroyed everything, every relationship, every good thing that was trying to be built was destroyed because of sin. And God said, I'm coming there, and I'm going to make a way so that this sin that's got in front of you that keeps you from me gets wiped away for all time and for all eternity. And when you put your faith in Christ, I know we say this, you've probably heard this, what is the gospel? It's good news. Me and my sin is not good news. <laughs> Me trying to rescue myself is not good news because I've tried that. And the only people who still think they can do that are people who are under 30. Anybody over 30 and you're like, no, I know the truth. This is not gonna, maybe even younger than that, but you get my point. We could not get ourselves out of this mess. And God said, because I love you so much, I'm going to make a way where there isn't a way. I'm going to send my son, Jesus said, I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to be with you. And then I'm going to die in your place for you. Why? So that all of the righteousness that he lived perfectly before God and received, he gives to us as a gift. And he takes all of our sin that we committed 
He didn't do any of this. And he took all of that on the cross. And the Bible says when he was done, he said, it is finished. You know what that means in the Greek? (laughs) I say this every week. It is finished. There's nothing else left to do. All you have to do is believe that Jesus has done that on your behalf. So it was the knowledge that God would one day return for his people that kept the people of God moving forward, going. Why? Because there was a promise. There was a sign. There was something coming. So there's an interesting story about a city in Maine called Flagstaff. In 1949, the government came in and said, we're going to flood the entire city and this whole river valley because we're going to create, uh, we're going to build a dam. And so we're sorry, but your, your city no longer exists. And they started slowly but surely moving people and relocating them out of, out of the city that many of them had spent their entire life in, some multiple generations. And so here's the thing that was interesting about that. The moment they had news that the city was going to be flooded, nobody did any repairs on their homes, on their businesses, on anything. And obviously, why would they do that? If you knew that there was no hope, and that everything that you were, you you were going to do to your house, if you were going to paint your house, and in six months it's going to be completely underwater, would you paint your house? And the answer is, of course you wouldn't. So the concept is simple, if not obvious, and it's this. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. So let me say it again. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Karen and I dream a lot. We, and here's one way we do it. We, we throw our dogs in the, in the truck because for whatever reason, they like to ride around. <laughs> Especially little Reese, she sits right up here on the window and she barks at everything you know, that she doesn't like. But we, we take them with us and we go and dream together as a family, right? <laughs> and so we like, we dream about uh, you know, living in the country. We, we, live a, we dream about going off and visiting faraway lands. We dream about all kinds of things. We're constantly dreaming and believing God for new and more amazing and bigger and better things, right? And not that God's going to give us every whim or every desire that we have like that, but what we know is this. When our heart is, is in him, inside of him, we don't dream because somehow we deserve it or we can earn it or we can do any of those things. We dream because God's favor is upon our life. And as we are more and more and more enamored with the king of the universe, that he is the king, that he is the provider, he is the one that is the source of all things. When we know that, we dream not just our dream, but we dream his dream. When we went to buy a house, this has been, what, five, five, seven years ago? Seven years ago, I'll get it right. Seven years ago, we go to buy a house. We have a budget, like, you know, good Christian so we're going to buy this house within this budget. And so we go and we look and we, we can't find anything we like. like several things happened. Anyway, it turned out to be a whole year-long process being broken up by some challenges that we had with family and different things. And so we finally get to the point where we're like, we're ready to pull the trigger on this. I'm looking one morning. I see a house that pops up on Zillow. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go by and look at that as soon as I leave the house. So I drove first thing over in the morning. It's in a little cul-de-sac. I drive through. The guy's retired. He's outside working on the yard. Um, and he comes up, he sees me, and he waves, and waves me down, and I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, and sure enough, I roll my window down, he said, can I help you, and I was like, man, I'm like, you know, people are paying attention in this neighborhood, this is good, and I'm also a little scared, and I said, well, your house went on the market this morning, and I would, I would like, I would just drive by and see if my wife might want to look at it, and he said, you want to go inside and look at it, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not allowed, but it turns out his wife was a real estate agent, 
And, <laughs> and he knew the rules, and so he's like, come on in. So we went in, connected with him by lunch. We were in the house. Karen was, came up by lunch, real estate agent, the whole nine yards. Karen ends up making friends with these people as she does. And before you know it, she's praying for them. Everybody's crying. I'm like, I don't even know what happened. I was just showing up to look at a house and my wife is doing ministry. I'm like, where did this happen? And so she's praying for them. They're crying. It's, it was beautiful. It's only Karen can make things happen like that, right? It was, it was wonderful. Now I prayed after the fact, you know, once it got going, I jumped right in, but Karen opens the door. So <laughs> we pray for these guys. It was wonderful. We walk away and go, there, here's what this price is, and it's literally at the very top of our budget. We're not going to come up with one cent more, so we offer that. And there's this sense of, it's a really nice house. <laughs> We're probably not going to get it, right? Especially if somebody else bids on it. And it just, it was probably by the next day, our real estate agent called and said, hey, by the way, um, they said yes. And uh, if you want it, the house is yours. And so we said, wonderful. After the fact, we heard the story. There were 10 offers on that house after hours for more money. Now, some of that is my wife's the friendliest human being on the planet, right? And she connected with them, but she prayed for them. And there was a connection, a kingdom connection. And this is what they told our real estate agent. They told us this later. They said, we wanted that couple to have our house. She, could have, she was a real estate agent. She knew how it worked. She could, they could have made quite a bit more money. And they would rather us have it. Now, here's the thing. I love that she did that. But at the end of the day, all of that happened, not because we had the money, not because we deserved it. I mean, don't get me wrong. We were doing budget. We were doing everything we are supposed to do, of course. But the reason that happened is because we had a hope and a dream to have a home where people could come and feel the presence of God, where we could be happy, where we could enjoy our lives, where we could help build the kingdom in this city. We would open it up to Bible studies and, and Christmas, uh, you know, uh, we would do all those things. We've had 50 women in our living room, which is impossible, but somehow it worked in the past. Karen's hosted those things. We've done that. We've hosted people from other nations who come in. We've hosted people who come from uh, Northlands to come and preach and, and spend the weekend building. We've hosted them there, and we've had a home. It's been an amazing thing. But all of that is a natural blessing that's really a supernatural blessing. Why? Because we're not dreaming our own dream. We're dreaming a bigger dream. We're dreaming a, a, a dream from God. And I want to I challenge you guys. Here's the challenge with this town that we mentioned, Flagstaff. Many of us have gotten into the place where we stop believing that God is with us. You know why? Because the circumstances are telling us a lie. They're telling us something that's not true. In the moment, it feels true. But in the moment is not the only moment that you're going to live. And if you've lived as a believer for very much time at all, you've learned. And as the song we sang during worship, the same way, when I look back, I see God's hand in every single arena of my life, and I see him coming through in ways I couldn't have imagined. We've got so many testimonies, so many stories of how God's done that. He's done that for us. He's done that for churches that we've pastored. He's done that for, with friends. He's done that with so many things. Why? Because he's supernatural, and he has a dream for you and I. He wants us to be reconnected to the kingdom. He wants us to, to understand that he is a father who loves us. And so often what we do is like these people in this city. They don't have any hope, so they stop putting any effort. And then hopelessness becomes its own self-fulfilling prophecy. And then you hear testimonies, what I call depressedimonies, of people who say, you know, I thought God was good, but... I'm like, where in this process 
did you stop looking at the sign? Where in this process did you stop believing that God was really who he said he was? And the answer is apparent. Somewhere in that process, they felt like it was hopeless, so why do anything? Why believe anything? I'm just going to sit here in my little town, be depressed, and wait for the floodwaters to come. And they do. And you're drowned. <laughs> right? And then you, people tell the story about how God didn't come through for you. But if we would lean back into this and go, God, this season, there's something about this. That when we re realize that you have decided to come and be with us, this is what you did through Jesus, everything begins to change. Why? Because it was a sign. It was a miraculous, supernatural thing that only God could do. Why did he want to do it that way? To show us that it's not in our own strength, but in his and us believing in what he wants to do in and through us that brings us through into everything that he has promised us. Jesus' sacrifice gives us hope. The story of Jesus is bookended on two sides. One, his birth, and one, his death. Isaiah talks about the second part of this, and this is what confirms that we put our hope in the right place. This is Isaiah 53. But he, the Messiah, eventually Jesus, we know that now, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Hundreds of years before Jesus grows up to be a man and carries out three amazing years of ministry. Hundreds of years before he'll be arrested, crucified, and killed. Isaiah writes about this other part of what's going to happen after his birth. He's going to grow up. He's going to live a perfect life according to the law. And he's going to be killed, but not arbitrarily. It's for a reason and for a purpose. Jesus was pierced in his hands and feet by nails holding him to the cross. He was crushed and beaten by his accusers. He was punished for wrongs he never committed himself. He received wounds on our behalf. It is by the suffering that he went through that we have freedom from our own sin and rebellion. Though you and I are deserving of death and the penalty for all the sinful things that we have done, Jesus took those sins upon himself. Your hope of healing, freedom, wholeness, and eternal life is made possible because of what Jesus did on that cross. There's an interesting story of a man named David Livingston. He was a missionary. He was Scottish. He was an explorer, and he spent 33 years in the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. And his heart was to bring the gospel and then open up the continent for missionaries to come through. And he did. Took the gospel into almost all of Africa. And so he said this toward the end of his life. This is what he said. He said, people talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege, anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger, um, uh, danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life. Um, this only be for a moment. Sorry, make, make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All those are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. And listen to this. He said, I never made a sacrifice. 33 years in Africa, I never made a sacrifice. 
Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Would you let this season fill your heart with such hope in the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that you would be so overwhelmed with gratitude that you cannot help but just worship and adore who he is and what he's done for you? And then would you let that move into you to serve and sacrifice for others as a way of sharing our hope, the hope that's inside of us, with the world. So let me ask you this as I close. What signs has God shown you personally? Coincidences, happenstance, luck, near misses. How many times should you have died and you're still here? (laughs) All indicators to get your attention, to point you to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 6 says it this way. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now, it's not in the Bible. This is just where we are. Now is the season of grace. This is a time when God has extended his hand to you over millennia. The question is, will you take it? Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us. And again, as we go into this season, holidays, Um, our margins are really low right now. I don't know if you've known this or seen this, especially when you're driving, or maybe that's just me. (laughs) But um, we don't have much margin after the season we've been in as as an entire planet over the last several years. Um, It's tough. It used to be our culture, like in the South, uh, had some margin built in. That very quickly went away. And so it has never been more apparent that when the people of God show the kindness and the goodness of God and the hope that's in them, it's never been more apparent that God is real because it is such a contrast to the world we live in. We see wars and rumors of wars. We hear all this right now. We are in a place where people have lost hope. Just like that city in Maine, they sense and feel a flood coming. Some of that is true. Some of that's a lie because the media just pours you with more information than you were ever designed to take in as one single person in one tiny little town in Dothan, Alabama. But some of that is true. And they feel the overwhelming fear, the sense of loss, the sense of helplessness, the sense of hopelessness. And in you, in how you treat, how you serve, how you love others, how you have hope in a world that when they look around, they can't see any at all, becomes the testimony of Jesus. Your testimonies, you sharing what God's done inside of you, you living that hope out in front of people is what turns the light on in people's head and say, could that possibly be true? All you're doing is introducing Jesus to people. But would you be intentional? First of all, by receiving and remembering that hope for yourself. Don't be that town that is in fear of flooding. Be a town that is on the verge of all kinds of success. The promises that God says, I'm going to come and bring success supernaturally. My divine power has been made available to you in what Jesus did on the cross. It is yours here and now. Not because you deserve it, not because you earned it, but because he loves you. And he loves others as well. Would we lean in for ourselves and we capture that in our hearts? Would it create space for us to give hope to others? Amen? Jesus, we just come and say thank you for being the Emmanuel. Thank you, Lord, that in a garden so many, many years ago, Lord, 
uh, mankind sinned, Lord, but you said you just wanted to come and walk with them in the cool of the day. That's the reason you created the garden. It's the reason you created us as people, so that you could be in relationship with us. You could love us. You could pour your kindness and your goodness out upon us. That was your plan and purpose, and sin got in the way. And then in another garden, Lord, many years later, Jesus took all of that sin. He, he said he was willing to pay the price to take all that sin upon himself, and he did. He did that on the cross. And so, Lord, you took all of that. There is no more condemnation for me. There is no more wrath for me because, Lord, you poured it all upon your son on that day. So, Jesus, thank you that you took our wrath, Lord, and in this place, you gave us your righteousness, Lord. And because of that, we have hope that never lets go. So, Jesus, thank you for being God with us. Thank you that you are in us, Lord, and that you are for us. Let that reflect into the world as we go into this season. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you, Dave. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Um, this morning, I love that the Bible says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And um, this morning, our, just our prayer ministry team, our leadership team took some time to pray over our service and um, for the people who would be in it. And I love that it's such a beautiful expression of the Father's heart towards us this morning. There's going to be some words of knowledge that will come up on the screen. And if you just read over those, and um, we would love to be able to pray for you, to um, come alongside you. Um, so if those words, any of those resonate with you, come up. We want to um, pray for you. And also, if there's anything that you just need prayer for this morning, you know, we would love to be a part of that journey with you and pray for you and encourage you. Um, we hope you have a great week. Um, I was just thinking when I came up, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And you are hope carriers. So can you infect some people around you this week with hope um, for who he is for you and who he is to you? And um, I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up to the front we want to pray for you, and we hope you have a good week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.